Hi, Nick. Thank you for joining us. Hello, Rachel. How are you? I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay now. Thank you for joining Black Ink Cinema Podcast. Um, before we get into it, we just want to know a little bit about Nick, um, all killer and some filler. Yeah. <laughs> um, talk to me about your career and where you got started. I'm a stand-up comedian. Uh, am I? Yeah, I suppose I still am. It's weird because of lockdown. Um, I did a... I did I did a couple of gigs at the beginning of lockdown over Zoom and I did not how was it? Horrible. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't I didn't enjoy it at all. Oh, and no. then I did a gig last night and they said do as long as you like and I ended up doing an hour and I was like, Oh it's fine. <laughs> Actually it's fine. Um, so yeah, I started doing stand up in 2006, so I started writing plays when I was at uni and taking them out to Edinburgh, uh, and no one ever came to see them. And then um, uh, I did that for years, and then I did. I spent ages, spent years and years writing a play uh, called Stroke. Sounds a bit dark. It was really dark, um, <laughs> but um, we got uh, we got <laughs> we got a one star review in the Scotsman uh, in. 2006 and uh, in August and then in uh, September uh, I started doing stand-up and I was and I realized well it wasn't technically a one-star review it's technically it's a two-star review but it printed out as a one-star review and um, yeah. if you can spend like seven years writing a play and getting one-star reviews then you can sort of like write a bit of stand-up on a bus and see if it's funny or not. So then I, so I still wrote theatre for a little bit and then I got into stand-up and then through stand-up um, uh, I started doing, I think I did Russell Howard in 2010, the show, and then um, I think in 2011 or 2012 I started working with Baby Cow and then they put me in Uncle. Um, yes, which I really enjoyed, by the way. Love the relationship between you and Errol. It's sweet. It's really sweet. It's dark. It's sweet. Yeah. And I think that's, I kind of that's why I liked it. If it was just relentlessly dark, but I like it. I like I like things that are sort of um, covertly positive. Yes, exactly. Not something that's just sort of like ramming good vibes down your throat, but you know. Yeah. Something that sort of like you have to muddle through it and then eventually you feel good about yourself. So I, I was really lucky with that. Do you have anyone in particular that inspires you, that inspired you to get into comedy or writing? Um, comedy was a little bit weird um, because I had like, I had like heroes when I was growing up, but I never really, um, I never really considered uh, stand up as like, like it never even occurred to me that you could do stand up. Yeah, it's always. Like yeah, I think it's one of those things where you watch other people do it, and then you just always assume it's something that other people do, and then, yeah. but what am I going to do? Yeah. Um, so I, it never occurred to me that I, could, I grew up watching people like Jack D, um, Joe Brand, uh, uh, Stuart Lee, Richard Herring, and then uh, Harry Hill. Mm. Um, and so, and uh, but like when I was really little, I used to watch TV with my mum. So we used to watch French and Saunders, yeah, Jasper Carrot, <laughs> Victoria Wood, you know. And um, mm. so it's sort of like I grew up with all of that stuff. And then I and then I grew up sort of like in video shops where your parents would take you to a video shop on Friday or Saturday night. And uh, and so I just 
used to just rent out Steve Martin videos every week. Oh, yeah, classic. Um, yeah, and that's sort of like... So those are all like my comedy heroes, but I don't think I really do anything that's much like them. I, mm. I think that they're not really influences, they're just uh, people that, you know, make me laugh. Yeah, yeah, but I never, it, I never, it never occurred to me that it was a thing that you could do. I've just grown up knowing stuff about um, film actors, and because I mm. just grew up reading Empire magazine and Total Film, yeah, and watching films and yeah. reading about films and just being obsessed with films. So, um, so yeah, so you kind of like, and also I studied like you know Brecht and Stanislavski at school. Mm. And so it's one of those things where rather than acting and trying to sort of like uh, imagine what it would be like if you were depressed, yeah. you just sort of like remember a time when you were depressed yeah. and then keep that in your head while you're doing the scene and you sort of let that take care of itself. So you're not sort of using up energy, creating something, you're kind of just channeling, that you're, remembering, you're remembering an actual genuine emotion and then you're sort of mm. like channeling it. Um, that's, that's how I did it, but you know. With mixed results sometimes, but, you know, it's, um, it's, it is what it is. <laughs> cool. So you're currently hosting um, your own podcast, Fan Club. Yes, Fan Club with Nathaniel uh, yeah. yeah, where you geek out on popular culture. What's it about? Like, what about popular culture that you guys... Well, to be fair, we wanted to do a film podcast, but they, um, already, had, they already had two film podcasts. Right. So we said we'll do it about popular culture. Yes. And then we just exclusively talked about films. Sneaky. <laughs> um, I like nobody, it. Nobody, nobody realised until about a year later. And then it was just like, we've been doing it. We've just done our, we did our hundredth episode this week together. Oh, congratulations. So I didn't do one. So it's our hundredth and one, our hundred and first episode, but our hundredth episode together. And, um, yeah, and it took a yeah, but we just talk about films. That's all we're really interested in. So that's that's my life. That's that's all I'm interested in as well. Um, scrolling through your Instagram, I did see you uh, with Nick and Nat's film club as well, about to watch Cool Runnings, and you had a bottle of Malibu. I thought okay. that was a brilliant touch. Yeah, I drank a whole bottle of Malibu while we were watching it. It was just at the beginning of lockdown and we were trying to work out what to do. But we 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 fucked it up because um, uh, he, um, he was on Twitter and I was on a different... We weren't on the same thread. Right, oh And no. we said that we'll watch Cool Running together. Basically, uh, he watched it independently of me on his laptop at 7.30 or whenever we watched it and I watched it on my laptop and I just wrote, I, I did like a, a Twitter th thread on my experience of watching Cool Runnings and he did his as well and uh, I never read what he said and uh, <laughs> we didn't interact with each other at all, we just messed it up but um, uh, yeah and then we never did it ever again, we were going to do it every week and we just couldn't be bothered and it was just like... Yeah. I, I, I think at the beginning of lockdown, everyone was so, like... Um, Lost? Yeah, and frustrated and just trying to work out. But also as a comedian, you know, comedians really... A lot of comedians really seem to want a lot of attention and a mm. lot of limelight. And I realised 
<laughs> I realised quite early on that. Do you know what? I'm all right just shutting up for five months. That's fine. That's absolutely fine. And now it's got to six months, and now it's just like, oh, I'll do an hour. I'll do. I'll do. I'll do. I'll do, I'll do, a, I'll do a gig, and I'll talk for yeah. an hour, and then that's that. But um, but well, yeah. So you're a musical man. You sing. You play the guitar. What's currently on your playlist? What's on my playlist? Um, hmm. I, well, I, I, I almost exclusively listen to Alice Cooper. Um, so have, you then, got any, have you got any music in the pipeline at the moment? I know you've already released three albums. Have you got anything? I'm working on my third studio album at the moment, and I'm working on a soundtrack album to a musical that I did in Edinburgh last year. Because cool. uh, lockdown, everything sort of like slowed down. So I'm just sort of like uh-huh. going, I'll do it when we're back. <laughs> yeah, lockdown really got in the way. Where can people find you on the socials? Oh, I'm at the Nick Helm on Twitter and at the Nick Helm, I guess, on Instagram. And I've got a blue tick on Instagram, but they won't let me have one. Really verified. Yeah, I've been verified. It took ages, but I finally got verified on Instagram. So we're here to celebrate all things black cinema, and you chose the latest edition in Eddie Murphy's catalogue of work, Dolomite Is My Name. Yeah. You're probably, I think you're the first person to choose like a modern film, like a new film. Oh, well, it came out last year, and I think it was either my favourite film or like my, um, it was either my first or my second favourite film. I can't can't imagine what my my first favourite film was if it wasn't that. One of my favourite, I love Eddie Murphy. Yeah, Um, I was like, are you a fan? Did you, growing up, were you a fan of his as well? Yeah, I mean, growing up, a lot of his films were films that I I wasn't allowed to see because... (laughs) Stuff like 48 Hours, uh, yeah. I mean, there was so much swearing in his films. Even stuff like Beverly Hills Cop, I probably watched it when it came out on TV, but they used to show it at like six o'clock on Saturday night on BBC One. And, <laughs> uh, they, they just cut all of the swearing out and all of the violence out and everything. And so it's kind of like um, in like the early 90s, there was kind of like films like Distinguished Gentleman and Boomerang. yeah. Uh, and even Vampire in Brooklyn, which, uh, that's, that's, I mean, I mean, that's <laughs> oh, like, finish, finish what you were about to say. <laughs> Vampire in Brooklyn is a weird, I mean, it's like, it's not a good film. It's simultaneous. I, I, for me, I don't mind watching it because I don't think, um, black cinema has explored vampires. Sure. I feel like that was the last time that happened. I think, yeah, and I think that's valid. I don't think it's a, I, do you know what? It's a, it's a weird film. I wouldn't say that it is, it's Wes Craven, you know? And he made, it's like, what's Wes Craven, what was he trying to do? It's like, <laughs> is he trying to make a vampire comedy? And it was like, Eddie Murphy was at that stage where... It was where, a comedy, surely it was a comedy. I, I definitely remember laughing, that's... But Eddie Murphy was at that stage in his career when he wanted to be taken seriously, you know. And what was that film you in Metro? He made Metro, which was sort of like yeah, Beverly Hills Cop in San Francisco, but without yeah. any <laughs> jokes. And there was no jokes in it. And you just like go, and I liked it, but it was kind of like, I mean, he's just so charismatic and so what, what, yeah. watchable. Um, so I kind of like grew up on like the second tier Eddie Murphy films. Okay. All the way up to... Probably going to see the Nutty Professor at the cinema, <laughs> yeah. and then that being like the first, the first Eddie Murphy film that I saw in the cinema, and um, and I, I mean, I haven't seen that in a long time, but I think it's, I mean, it's sort of like regarded as the beginning of, 
him uh, just wearing loads of makeup for everything. He did it a little bit in coming to uh, coming to America. We did it. He did. He has like what is it? Three characters or four characters? He's got like three three characters. Yeah. He's got three characters in coming to America. Yeah. Four characters. He's the barber. He's the Jewish guy in the barber shop. Yes. He's uh, the singer, and he's uh, Eddie Murphy. Himself. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, so, uh, so he started doing stuff like that, and then Ed, uh, and then Nutted Professor was when he started really kind of like leaning into prosthetics and stuff. Yeah. Um, and so this was like his first biopic. Um, this one. Yes. Well, he did Dream Girls. But like his him as like kind of the only lead. Him is him is the lead. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, the thing is, sort of like, so my probably my aside from uh, I really love Beverly Hills Cop. I kind of like Beverly Hills Cop two, but um, <laughs> are we going to talk about Beverly Hills Cop three? Because uh... well, Beverly Hills Cop two, right? We talked about this on fan club this week actually. So Beverly Hills Cop is sort of like one of them gritty um, early eighties action comedies where mm -hmm. it's still got like a foot in the 70s where it's all sort of like gritty and it's um um it's sort of uh, it's a little bit like it's shot in not exactly the same way but it's sort of like you can see influences from 70s films like the french connection in it right yeah and then when you get to beverly hills cop 2 it's all uh, uh simpson and Bruckheimer. Uh, Tony Scott directed it so glossy so slick and it's almost like they've made an action film with comedy in it but it's not really an action comedy yeah and then you get to <laughs> Beverly Hills Cop 3 which <laughs> is um, I mean it's just I mean it's like it's, bare, it's it's not really an action film it's it's basically it's a it's a it's a, 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 com a not a very good comedy I mean, I'm just going to defend Beverly Hills Cop 3 here because, like you, I think that was the first film that I was officially allowed to watch when growing up. So I was still pretty young. So in my young days, I probably would have been like, oh, my God, fun fair. This is, you know, yeah, you yeah, know yeah. when they, he's climbing up the spider's wheel yeah. thing. I'm like, this is amazing. You know, what oh, a I hero. It. And I then loved I thought, it when oh, I and watched one and two, and I was like, oh. How did they make that? <laughs> yeah. Like, I was like, okay, but I still, it's, it still holds a special place in my heart. I don't oh, know if it's nostalgic or, but I quite enjoyed it. I don't think it's as bad as people say. Anytime he's playing Axel Foley, and anytime he's, um, uh, anytime you hear that theme tune, and anytime he's wearing that sort of bomber jacket, it's like, he's, he's great, right? And when I was little, and I was, and I watched Beverly Hills Cop three. It was, it was clearly my favourite. Yeah. But when you get older, <laughs> when, you get old, when you get older, I think there's there's one excellent Beverly Hills Cop film. There's one really glossy, quite an ugly, violent Beverly Hills Cop film, and then there's one which just sort of like misses. The, it's almost like he was trying to return to what made the first one good, mm. but it sort of missed the mark. But Trading Places, I take that off TV, and I just watch that over and over and over again, and that's yeah. some of my favourite comedy moments in it. I think that's great. How do you and feel then, about Beverly Hills Cop four? Do it. Just do it. Okay. All Just right. do it. 
What are you waiting for? <laughs> I mean, you I should... think it's in, the pi- it's in the pipeline. So you should have done it. that and come into America too. So well, he did a pilot for the TV series. He was he played he played Axel Foley, and he was basically handing the reins over to his son. Oh, we get, oh no! And I don't think it ever got aired. And I don't think. And you just like go well. Just make a Beverly Hills Cop four and stop, stop, stop going on about it and just do it. And and then I just think, and then when you get to the end of the nineties, you get to Bowfinger, mm. and I think that for a long time, Bowfinger was both Steve Martin and Eddie Murphy's last good film. Mm. I think yeah. it's so good, it's so clever, it's so funny. And this one's a bit similar like that in terms of. Well, that's what. What's, that's yeah. That's my. That's what I was going to say. It's, it's like. Um, when there's like when you watch this film, there's like two films that it reminds me of. One of them is Edward, uh, and one of them is Bowfinger. Okay, and, yeah. Um, and I think it's better than both of them. Is it because this one Eddie show more his dramatic side, and so therefore do you prefer Eddie when he's kind of drawing in from more of the dramatics, um, being a little bit more serious? Because there was a lot of comedy in this, but it was quite like a serious well that's the thing the other thing the other film that I was thinking about was Man on the Moon Um, Mm. because with Man on the Moon Jim Carrey attempts to do I mean I I I went out with someone whose favourite film was Man on the Moon and I hate it right (laughs) but um, uh, but the thing is it's like uh, Jim Carrey was trying to do an impression of Andy Kaufman Mm. And when you actually put their performances side by side, Jim Carrey uh, doesn't sound like him. He's got the wrong intonations. He's overselling every single Andy Kaufman joke. Andy Kaufman was sort of like did invisible comedy and Jim Carrey mm. like signposts and everything. And, and it's weird because Jim Carrey was basically, he was trying to channel Andy Kaufman to do yeah. this, um, to do this, uh, uh, to create like this this character in this film, and with Eddie Murphy, it's sort of like when you watch um, uh, when you watch the original Dolomite, Dolomite, uh, and you listen to the albums, and um, and you see him sort of like do stand up. Um, Eddie Murphy is not even attempting to do an impression. I mean, they're, mm. they're completely different. I mean, yeah. Eddie Murphy is basically. Um, doing Eddie Murphy, <laughs> you know, and, um, and A, I think that we've, we've missed that. He's so yeah, good. At, he's so he good. Is, yeah. I was saying, cause obviously he's had a string of like kiddie films and he was back swearing, um, at his finest in this one. Um, it was kind of like, you know, motherfucker Eddie's back. Uh, yeah. did you, did you like that? I like Daddy Daycare though, so I'm, I'm alright. I <laughs> love Daddy Daycare. And he did all the Shrek films as well, but I don't really count them. I feel like, you know, unless you can see him, it doesn't really count. But, um, <laughs> I mean, you, you heard him loud and clear, so we'll... Yeah, you know. sure. But I think... Um, so he's using a lot of... A lot of... Uh, it's Rudy Ray Moore. Yeah. Was the guy. Was Dolomite, originally. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so... He's sort of like being, it's, the performance is really respectful in terms of the fact that he's wanted to make the film, they've created the film. It was written by the same people that, that wrote Edward as well. Yeah. So yeah. it's kind of like, um, and he's kind of like, he's taken the essence of what he did and he's basically done it 
in a very Eddie Murphy way. And there are some really amazing scenes quite early on where he is kind of like doing full-on Eddie Murphy and then he will switch and do something really sort of like um, emotionally... Yeah. Uh, emotionally connecting with the audience you know? and you're kind of like you'll watch you'll you you know he'll be doing something really broad and then he'll bring it down and there's also something really interesting about seeing him this much older you know yeah it was it was weird i'm not gonna lie he hasn't aged i mean he hasn't aged badly but no. he is definitely older and also he's wearing sort of like a wig where you can sort of like see through the wig a little bit and he looks like he's balding in it and mm. um and he, he looks like significantly older than you know i've seen like loads of interviews with eddie murphy on talk shows recently when he was doing like saturday night live and stuff like that and he looks younger than he does in this film so they've kind of yeah like, they've aged they him probably made him look a bit yeah they probably have aged him a little bit but he's so like 53 he's, now or is it like is in his he, 50s isn't he like 58 yeah, he'll be like, he's like almost 60 then. Yeah, about 50, yeah. But yeah. The, uh, Rudy, Rudy Ray Moore, he was in his uh, early 40s when he was doing it. So it's kind of like, I mean, he was a lot younger than Eddie Murphy was when uh, he did it. Uh, yeah. when, when he did the when he did the film, but he's sort of like, it's, it's, it's interesting because it's not an impression. So it's a really interesting performance because yeah. you assume that he's being kind of like because I think it's also um, an Oscar worthy performance. Yes, it is one hundred percent. I agree I, with you that. I think, um, it's, I, think really I was I was gutted that he didn't win for Dreamgirls because yeah, he uh, was so good in that as well. But it was the same year he made Norbit, so. You, so he was he was being punished. <laughs> We're not going to talk about Norbit. Norbit, right? But um, but uh, so so he he made this film, and um, and I think it's an Oscar-worthy performance, um, and it's everything that you kind of want, like in terms of a film, mm. and it's a film about Hollywood. Yes. And the filmmaking process, which I love anyway. Yeah, I, I thought that it. was really cool, and it kind of epitomizes the uh, the American dream. Um, do you do you like the aspect, or is that something that you're not a fan of? Because when I said that it's a film about Hollywood, and it's it's not a film about Hollywood. It's a film about filmmaking, and it's a film about actually um, Hollywood not actually being there for a lot of people. And uh, but not only that, but like the black exploitation industry didn't even back him. Yeah, and it's literally it was. I mean, what is it about? What it's about is it's about a self-made man that believes yeah. in himself yeah. and um i like I, I watched it i watched it again yesterday um, um i cried <laughs> i cried i got, in, I got so emotional did you, you cry did you cry yeah, um, i mean there might have been one or two tears that uh trickled down because i just wasn't expecting it like um for some reason it took me a while to watch it and so when i did it kind of threw me a little bit because i, was, I wasn't expecting that emotional connection, but I love I love a winner. Like I like it when it all works out because films don't do that anymore. Like films are just like everyone dies, tragedy happens. Yeah. Like you know, it's just never happy. So like when I, when it was an actual happy ending, I was like, oh, oh it's such a it's such a feel good <laughs> film. It's so good. Yeah. But I I didn't even and I didn't like cry. I think I think the first time I saw it around Christmas time, I cried. Right. But um, but I can't remember specifics. I remember yesterday. Uh, there's the bit when he's got to do the sex scene, and he's oh. really worried about the sex scene. And then um, uh, that? 
uh, and then Queen B uh, says to him, uh, uh, well, you know, you could just, uh, and he goes, I could just make it funny. And yeah. I went, oh. <laughs> like, I, know I, like like. I know what it's like being a big guy that has to do a scene in something that you don't want to do. And it's not only because I can just directly relate to that exact scenario. <laughs> <laughs> It's the fact that it was such like a, it's like a guy that's sort of like, um, he's, uh, his whole act was, everyone took his act for who he, I guess I can relate a lot to it, but yeah. everyone takes his act at face value, that's what he's like. And he was yeah. nothing like that. There's that scene at the beginning uh, where she's uh, just been uh, hit in the club and he comes up to her afterwards and yeah. they start talking at the bar and, you know, you think that he's going to hit on her or you think, yeah. and, and, and you think, you know, you think he's going to be slightly sleazy and mm. he's just, and they become like best friends and he takes her with her on this amazing journey. Two things I like about the fact that you were showing male insecurities um, and about his belly and usually it's women in the films or like, it's not something that I've ever seen on tele, like on, in a film. I've never seen them like, a guy be like, oh, my belly or whatever, about to do a sex scene or anything like that. So that was really refreshing. And two, the relationship with him and her, um, Lady Reed, it was just, you know, platonic. It was just kind of sisterly, um, which was nice because there was no romantic lead in this. And yet they had such a nice brother and sister relationship. Yeah, quite an emotional film. And I think that that relationship really sort of like, um, it takes you all the way through. It's it's really, it's yeah. I think it's a really beautiful film. Um, Had you heard of Dolomite or seen the original film before? Like only in sort of the vaguest way possible. And then yeah. when and then I think when they announced that they were making the film, I didn't know really much about it. And then yeah. it's kind of like um, you know uh, YouTubing stuff and. Um, doing you know because i've just got it you know they're making a film and mm. it's eddie murphy and there's an interest there but it's weird because you sort of like i watched like uh, stephen colbert's um interview with eddie murphy and yeah. then i'm like saying no oh, it's very confusing for people isn't it because there's rudy ray moore and there's dolomite and it kind of like explain it. you go well what's confusing it's a character yeah. right it's not confusing at all and even in the in the film, he kind of distinguishes that as well. And it's like, people think I'm this character and I'm not, and I'm, you know, I'm this person. So I think it's very, I don't know who got confused. It wasn't that difficult. I think, it's, I think that's like getting confused with Rowan Atkinson and Mr. Bean, <laughs> the character. Um, yeah. But I think that what he's saying is to the general audience, to people that, and, and, and he really is kind of like this underground superstar, right? And I think to the general audience, hmm. you go, what's Dolomite? Because Dolomite is an ongoing character that was on records, that was on stand-up shows, that, yeah. was, uh, that he made films out of. Uh, he was sort of like a folk legend that yeah. um, he kind of used in loads of other places. And then you got Rudy Ray Moore, who's, um, who's, uh, who's the guy that, that did it all. So I think there might be, to the outside, it's just kind of like, well, who's Dolomite then? Is Dolomite <laughs> the guy? And so I, I kind of get it. But then as soon as you look into it yeah so you, not even if you watch the film you just go mm. oh it's, it's a comedy character that this guy's playing yeah um, exactly i didn't i didn't find it hard at all some people may not know um that odb's got your money 
video was made up of clips from Dolomite. Um, and when I did find that out, when I watched the video, because I was like, makes sense now. Uh, that 70s flair yeah. pimp look um, that they have going on. Have you seen, have you seen Dolomite? The original? Yeah. No, I haven't. I think it, I, um, I, I was watching it today. Right. Because I was doing kind of like research. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where did you watch it? Uh, it's on Amazon. Oh, okay. Is it? Uh, a, you have to pay for it because no, it's, on, it's on it's on Amazon Prime. But usually you have Amazon Prime, and then they make you pay for videos. I think you've got to pay for like the ones that he that he wasn't playing Dolomite on. Okay. Um, but they've got that, and then they've got the sequel. Well, I'll check it out. Mm. Um, and because uh, I've seen like. Because the implication of the film is these films are absolute shit. Um, yeah. You can see the boom mic, um, yeah. you know, people are walking into bits of set. And, you know, like, it's basically like they've kind of done a black exploitation version of Ed Wood, right? Yeah. And that's how they've done it. And it's really fun to watch people trying to make a film and get it wrong. And that's kind of like, it's an underdog story, isn't it? It's like they, mm-hmm. like, they didn't know what they were doing. And... Uh, they made this shit film and beyond all kind of uh, belief and all odds, uh, it found an audience and then they were a success. But when you watch the film, mm. it's a perfectly watchable film. Uh, okay. And I really liked it and I probably preferred it to Shaft. It's kind of like, it's, uh, I know, right? Ooh. The original, the original, the original. <laughs> right? um, and uh, 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 yeah, I... Um, yeah, I, do, I, I think, uh, but maybe it's because you've got the whole making of and you're expecting it to be absolute, absolute shit. But, but then, um, at the same time, weren't all films like that, like in the 70s and 80s, they were a little bit like, I watch them now and sometimes it's like, mm, that's pretty crap, but I still enjoy it. It was just because of the time. If they weren't like, well, you know, Star Wars was made in the 70s. It's kind yeah, of like, but Star Wars is in its own, like... So, but I think if it wasn't like a studio picture, I mean, this is as independent as it gets, though. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. It was yeah, like yeah, yeah. He, was doing, he was doing gigs so that he could finish off filming it. Like, there's this yeah. whole misconception about it. Well, it's not a misconception. You, you can see it. But basically, um, the whole thing is that you can see the boom mic keep dropping yeah. into shot in the film. Yeah. And the thing is, it got released on the wrong aspect ratio, right? Oh. So, so then I think they did like um, they did like a re-release where they kind of like put it in the correct aspect ratio. Um, they, so there was like an uncut version, which right. he, um, which he had to edit so that it could get like a mainstream release, I think. Yeah. And then he, um, he lost all of the bits that he cut out. So there is no complete version of the film that right. exists anymore. There's even sort of like, um, uh, I was watching Dolomite earlier, there's even like a sex scene which literally he's goes to kiss her, it cuts, and then it's the same shot, but they've finished having sex. And it's kind of like, um, so, but those bits of f- film are missing, but what they managed to do is they put the correct aspect ratio on. And yeah. so, like, all of that stuff about the boom coming into shot, that all of a sudden isn't so much a problem because, yeah. uh, because. Uh, it was was showing as a square picture rather than kind of like a letterbox picture and so when they do that that's where they get rid of the boom mics and stuff but Mm -hmm. um, yeah I think that the film is Dolomite Is My Name is a really wonderful kind of fictionalised account of this guy's life and it's and um, I think 
I mean, it's interesting because, like, in the 90s, um, they got uh, Ruby Ray Moore uh, on uh, Arsenio Hall, and um, there was kind of, like, uh, Snoop Dogg was talking about, like, how he owes him his entire career. Um, I love that full circle, then, with the cameos. Um, that was awesome. I wasn't when, expecting to see Snoop for five minutes. When he showed up on it, and, and you've got all of these kind of, like, black artists that have been yeah, like championing right. uh, yeah. for, for, for all this time, and... And it's sort of like he's never sort of like really kind of like broken into sort of main, and I don't know if he's broken into mainstream, but mm. I I do think that had it not been for the fact that um, Eddie Murphy had made a film about this guy, I wouldn't have yeah. gone back and watched it. I was listening to his albums, and yeah. they're amazing. Like the yeah, I was un- I was completely unaware of Dolomite, um, and Rudy Raymore's considered early hip hop. So is that where, you know, with your musical background, is that why you picked Dolomite? Because of the music as well as the acting? That's not a huge aspect of the film. Okay. Yeah, my music really doesn't have a lot in common with that, but... Oh, no, I wasn't saying No, 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 but I know what you mean. They don't really lean into it that much because it's about the making of the film and he does rhyme in the film. Yeah. I mean, he rhymes all the way through the film. But when I was listening to the albums, it's kind of like, you go, oh, my God, he's like a really dirty Dr. Zeus, right? Yeah, yeah, And yeah. then you look at all of these... I mean, like, Andrew Dice Clay in the, in the 80s, his basic whole act was doing dirty nursery rhymes. And you go, well, that's, that's his act. So, and he was huge. He was doing, like, Madison Square Garden. Yeah. You know, and he, he was, like, one of the biggest... He was, if not the biggest comedian on the planet at one time, Andrew Dice Clay. But then I guess with the film, it's kind of like... Um, he's playing... You know, he's, he's... There's a guy who's got a persona. And I guess that if you were to analyse it, you could go, yeah, I can kind of relate to that. I mean, the other thing is that it's got Wesley Snipes in it. Oh, my God. Who is literally my favourite thing in there? I mean, I love Wesley Snipes. I, I thought his performance was, one, really re- refreshing yeah. and surprising because I'm used to seeing Wesley Hard. Um, you know, great, oh, yeah. tough guy. Yeah, I'm used to seeing Wesley Hard. Yeah, I love that. Um, <laughs> Not like that. Um, but a hard man, demolition man yeah, yeah, um, yeah, and stuff yeah. like that. And so to see him quite soft and silly and... Oh. He's brilliant. Well, he was in um, Two Wong Fu, Thanks for Everything, Julie Newmar. Like, he's sort of like a little bit like, he's a little bit, uh, bear with me, he's a little bit like Bruce Willis in that respect, where Bruce Willis started off as like a comedy actor, and mm. then he sort of like ended up doing action films. Yeah. And yeah. then every so often he'd do a film like Death Becomes a uh, or um, Hudson Hawk, or mm. something that wasn't really kind of like a, an action movie. Uh, and Wesley Snipes is sort of like was an actor yeah. who ended up kind of doing action movies. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. But before this, the last thing I saw him in was Expendables Three. Yeah. And then you see him in it, and you just like you know, he's obviously having so much fun, and so and it's such a good cast because obviously uh, Wesley Snipes had all of that kind of like legal stuff with his taxes, and mm. it feels like it's sort of like a comeback film. Yeah. For, 
Um, not that, like, I feel like Eddie Murphy did a load of family movies, and then, and even like his last stab at the kind of like uh, an adult. Uh, I think it was probably something like Tower Heist, where did he do? Was it Mister? There was that other drama. He did a drama that kind yeah, of. Like, Mr. Got, I don't know, Mr. Will, something along those lines. Yeah, it was a weird one. He wore like that little hat in it, and he went. Yeah. Around. It's like he's doing good deeds for people. Yeah. It's, yeah, I didn't see that, but it was barely advertised, and I think. Yeah. It, I don't think it came to the cinema. Because um, I waited, I, for it and I'm very sure it didn't. Like I, I didn't. I don't think it did, and yeah. I. I, I I didn't remember it until... I mean, like, so, but... So Tower Heist was meant to be, like, a film that was developed for ages that was meant to have kind of, like, um, uh, Chris Tucker and Chris Rock and Cedric the Entertainer and Bernie Mac and Eddie Murphy was meant to be fronting this whole kind of, like, huge black cast of uh, legendary comedians. Yeah. And then by the end of it, it kind of, like... You know, Eddie Murphy's in it, and then you've got, like, Ben Stiller... And it was just kind of, it was so, I, wa- I watched it when I was on my own in Lincolnshire on a rainy day waiting for a gig where I died at, right? But, so I don't have best memories of it, but it was such a disappointing, flaccid, boring film. Eddie Murphy yeah. was all right in it, but it was kind of like, it was, so, and also Dreamgirls, he was great in Dreamgirls, but yeah. this was just like, he's come back, he's sort of like, uh, put Wesley Snipes in it. Wesley Snipes has got this standout, amazing performance yeah. in it. He had he had amazing cast. Keegan White, uh, Michael Key was in it. Mike yeah. Epps, Greg Robinson. Yeah, you know, it was yeah, it was a really good cast, and it was kind of like his old Eddie Murphy of like bringing his friends in. Yeah, and it was yeah, it was it was uh, yeah, it's such a yeah, such a lovely film, and you know, and I love Bowfinger, and I and I. Like Edward a lot, and for this film to sort of like sort of combine that because he's so good. Sorry, but he's so good in Bowfinger as well. Yeah, like playing both of those parts, and and they don't require like heavy prosthetics. It is just sort of like Eddie Murphy with glasses and teeth, and then Eddie Murphy being Eddie Murphy. But those mm. two performances are so great, and that the the little brother or the or the brother in. Uh, Bowfinger is such a lovable, sweet character. Um, yeah. It's like a proper, like, it's a proper acting performance in that. And when when you see something like Norbit and it's kind of like it's all so broad and yeah. so sort of offensive, you kind of like go, well, where... It's kind of like you just... You never really know who's going to show up for work when you, when you see it. And it looked like he really, really, really... Uh, believed in this film and he really wanted this film to work and um it, yeah he's so good in it i think um some of the credit as well goes to craig brewer the director um who yeah. previously directed empire and american coming to america he's well, he's directing uh and he's doing he, he's doing the sequel to coming to america yeah he's doing the sequel sorry coming to america yeah Black Snake um, as well didn't he yeah, and also a little Easter egg in there was while I was watching it, um, there's a scene in the club where the lady's dancing on the stage and she's doing the same choreography from Coming to America, the big intro um, dance, which I was just okay. like, I had just seen Coming to America, so I was like, that those steps are very fresh in my mind. So oh, That's great. Yeah, so you can, 
watch out, you know, didn't have to learn anything new. It was like, it's already there. Well, there were loads of like Easter eggs in the film where they sort of like folded over lots of, um, uh, they, do, they do like scenes that aren't in the original Dolomite, but are actually in the sequel. And they do references to some of his later films and stuff like that. Yeah. So it's kind of like, they've basically gone, right, how do we take this life from fiction? And basically you've got the best guys the best guys in the business that did it. I mean, they did The People versus Larry Flynn, mm. uh, uh, American Crime Story, Big Eyes. Um, so they've done sort of like lots of... Um, Man on the Moon. Uh, they did uh, lots of kind of um, uh, biopics. And, um, and it's weird. What do you think about it being on Netflix? Well... That was one of the things I wanted to talk about because I feel like it didn't get the, the, the it's deserved, like, attention. I, I just felt like it was a little bit, like, shunned because, I don't know, it came out on Netflix and it wasn't really advertised to the, to the fullest as it would be in the cinema. Um, because for me, it's, a, it's an amazing film and I think it's brilliant. The performances in there, the cast is phenomenal. I mean the costume design is the same one who won the Oscar for Black Panther. And I feel like... The costumes are great. They're just brilliant, the yeah. set design. Um, and I kind of felt like it was... I love Netflix, but I felt like it was wasted on Netflix. I would have liked to see it on the big screen um, yeah. and kind of enjoy the comebacks, um, you know, the relationships on the big screen, personally. Yeah. No, I agree. I would say... But what I would say about the quality of the film is I think a lot of Netflix films, when you start watching them, they feel like a Netflix film, you know? Mm. There's a certain quality to the way they're filmed and the way the camera moves. And it sometimes feels a little bit kind of... Um, uh, a little bit kind of like a, studio, a 90s studio comedy, you know? There's not like a lot of artistic sometimes right and what i would say about this is i waited so long i was so excited about this film coming out yeah and when i finally saw it and it started my initial thought was oh it feels a bit netflix right and mm. then i just got completely absorbed in it and lost yeah. in it and i just felt like it it's as yeah i don't think that Netflix films are worse than other films. So, like The Irishman was a Netflix film, um, mm. and I think when it first, when they first announced that Adam Sandler was going to sign a contract with Netflix and make six movies exclusively for Netflix, everyone was just like, "Fucking hell, Adam Sandler's over." But <laughs> in actual fact, even though a lot of those Netflix films are awful, mm. it sort of pioneered a, a trail for all of these other filmmakers that can't yes. get cinema releases to suddenly start making these films. And, and I, I kind of feel like watching, like when I watch a film on Netflix, my expectations are different to when I go to the cinema to watch something. So if something is okay um, on Netflix, it will be a good film. <laughs> Whereas if I go to the cinema and a film is okay, I'm like, what I've just wasted... 12 pounds of my life and, and time that I'll never get back. Whereas I feel like the expectations are a little bit different when it comes to watching streaming stuff rather than yeah. going to the cinema. But I would say the reverse is true as well, where I've, oh, seen, yeah. I've seen some of my favourite films on TV 
Yeah. I've got my phone and I've got emails and texts and I'm like uh, getting up and getting something to eat. And it's like, there's a film basically on in the background, right? Mm -hmm. And for a film that is premiering on Netflix to fight against all social media, all of the distractions you've got in your house and for it to be completely absorbing. I can't even say that about, you know, some of my favourite all-time films. That that, is very true. You know, and I think that, I think that I, I, you know, I I switched everything off. I sat down, Mm. I watched it for two hours, like like a film. And Mm. um, (laughs) I did it it in my living room, you know, and it's kind of like, and that's great. And one of my favourite films is um, uh, uh, Once Upon a Time in uh, in the West, right? Mm -hmm. And, um, And it's like three hours long and I watched it, I watched it at home. And you watch it in stages and stuff. But you go to the cinema, you watch it all in one go. It's yeah. an incredible film. It rolls over you. And I think that cinema is absolutely the perfect place to watch certain films where you can just watch them from beginning to end without any inter- interruptions. And mm. like I said, for this film to fight against all of that and to still kind of like move you, and yeah. I think that I think it's stunning. Yeah. And it's about my favourite Sorry? And it's about my favourite thing, you know. Which is? Which is not just films, but um, but kind of like... My whole, my whole career is based around the fact that no one really um, uh, gave me... I think that you think that someone's going to give you permission to do something in your life. And I yeah. think that, um, uh, you know, I used to, I used to write plays like I said no one is asking me to write plays I wanted mm. to write plays I, I can write now better than I could then mm. but I couldn't write as well as I could now if I hadn't started then yeah and I had friends that came to tell me that I should give up and I shouldn't do uh, I, I should you know it's just kind of like um, well this play was all right Nick, but if you're still doing this in five years time you should give up and you go well you're my friend you know yeah well, not anymore <laughs> But do you know what I mean? And so there's all these people that are telling you that you shouldn't follow your dreams and you shouldn't do it. And to watch something like this, where, um, not that it directly inspires me to follow my dreams, but I think it's such a positive message. Yeah, we, yeah. Are be, we are brainwashed in this industry or in the world or in life to sort of like not try yeah. that thing because it's, it's too difficult, it's too hard and go too down hard. the well-trodden path. And yeah. this is this is a film about a guy that was just like fuck it, I want to do it. Mm. And he did it. And I think that's what I what I love about it is in that first five minutes when he's talking to Snoop, and Snoop's like, "Come on, dude! Like we're old, let it go. You know, there's no point." And everyone basically just keeps telling him, "You're not good enough, or you're not going to make it." And he still perseveres. Like for me, that's probably why I got a bit emotional because it's like I'm such a. I love that. I love seeing people go after their passion or their dreams and fulfilling it and making themselves happy. And it's hard because it will be your friends, your family that will be like, I don't think you can do it. And I think that was real to show that because you get your biggest discouragement from people who should really be encouraging you and supporting you um, in doing that. And just because sometimes people don't believe in themselves, they let that onto others um which goes into my next point if you had to pick a scene to show to someone who hadn't seen dolomite is my name what what scene would it be um 
I think, well, like I said, I think the the, the scene at the beginning um, where mm. him is it? What's it? Is it Queen Bee? Who, Lady Reed? Yeah. Yes. Well, her name's Lady. Yeah, she call he calls her Queen Bee in the in the film, but her name's Lady Reed. So the scene where they meet is is mm. great. Um, yeah. And then, like the scene where Wesley Snipes is directing the fight scene is really <laughs> It's so good. It's so good. Uh, and the scene, I mean, like the scene at the end when he comes out with the queue and there's the little kid. I mean, um, like that's just. That melted my heart. Yeah. At that moment. I think that's when the tears began, to be fair. I was just like. I think the oh. first time. Yeah, first time was that, maybe. I just yeah. think. Yeah, I mean, um, but also, it's to say, not that I don't, I think, I think, I wouldn't say that Adam Sandler is a guilty pleasure. I do, but I do feel like every time he makes a good film, I'm so happy for him. I'm so (laughs) relieved. And I go, yeah, right? Yeah, because I think that he is good. He just doesn't always do good stuff. Mm -hmm. And... I think Eddie Murphy is sort of guilty of the same thing, even though they're kind of like in different leagues. Where yeah, one hundred, yeah. Totally. Um, but uh, but with Eddie Murphy, it was just kind of like I just really want this to be good, and it was. And I'm yes, so yeah. so happy for him. And um, I think that's why it took me a while to watch it because I was like, please, Eddie, I need this to be good for both of us right now. Um, yeah, because the expectations are high. Yeah, um, Nick. You have been amazing. And I feel like you and I can talk about movies forever. And I'll definitely have to have you back on here again to talk about another one of your uh, favourite black leads or black films. Yeah. But I just want to say thank you and wish you all the best of luck with everything that you do. Thank you very much. It's lovely to meet you, Rachel. Uh, It's a pleasure to meet you too. If, if, If we've met over Zoom, does that mean that we've really met? Oh, oh, there you go. I mean, you've seen me. This is... Does it count? Because I am absolutely being bleached out right now by the light. <laughs> it's got dark while we were talking. The sun has gone down. I've just realised, thank God for this light, because otherwise it would have been a whole situation. Um, and I didn't think. Um, but yeah, no, we have met. Well, that's my, that's my okay. claim. I'm well, one I count with that. that then. I count that. Yeah. Thanks for having me. No, it was honestly my pleasure. Um, I'd love to have you on again. I'd love to come back. Yeah, it's great.